Welcome to Bandit's Keep. I'm Daniel. It is day 17 of OSR October, and we're jumping back online. So the website, I guess it might be, I guess it's a website, yeah, Save versus Total Party Kill. There's lots of good resources here. I may come back here and look at something else. But the what I want to look at today is kind of a hidden gem. There is a series of hex crawls that were crowdsourced here. And effectively, when you go to these sites, I'll put the link to the one I'm going to look at right now, which is called the Colossal Wastes of Czar. What you've got is a description. The sand grinds down, the fungus overtakes, and the land itself manifests volcanic fury in the colossal wastes of Czar. Some must have prospered here, their ruins used and reused by those who now scrape a living from this desolate stretch. Conflict stirs as many factions vie for control of the few pockets of wealth and comfort. The ram-horned insects, jackalmen, scaled creatures great and small, and those from outside live among monuments to the dead and undead, strange machinery, creeping sands, and stucking lava. So you've got this hex crawl set up here. And like I said, it was crowdsourced. So they went on Google+, Plus. I think it was primarily the source, and they asked everybody to create hexes, uh, probably thematically. And what they did was they combined it into this and then some great computer whizzes <laughs> stuck it all together. So what we've got when we go to the page is a hex map and they're all numbered. And if I go to one, like I'm just going to randomly pick a hex, 1207. When I click on 1207 on the map, it jumps down the page to 1207, which has a uh, description, a hidden well near the Northern Caravan Trail leading to Alifal. Its location is guarded closely by a tribe of white elves which sell water to the traders passing by. The word Alifel is a, a hyperlink. And you can, if you were to click on that, it will jump to information. So I'll actually do that. Click on Alifel. Okay, it jumps to 1208. Alifel, walled trading post of Mabahan, is becoming a small city both in and outside the walls. It is run in a more heretical and military fashion than usual, but one can earn their trust. So now we've got this little description of what's going on here. But in addition, we've got some notes. We have C, 1207, 1211, and 1809. So these are hexes that are connected to this hex. But also, if we go up next to 1208, there's little directional symbols. We've got, you know, because you're in a hex, right? So you can travel multiple directions. We've got to the left, down to the left, up to the right, down to the right. So if we were to press, let's say, down to the left, it will jump to 1108, which is if you had gone that direction, a sprawling disused temple to Nitra, goddess of cleansing sand, has become occupied by hundreds of refugees from Hex 1911. And again, if we click on 1911, we'll get we'll go there. A sprawling disused temple to Nitria, goddess of the cleansing sand has been occupied by hundreds of refugees from Hex 1911. And of course, 1911 is a hyperlink. When the group arrives, a robed man claiming to be the last priest of Nerea is pleading with them to leave the temple. He claims their sacrilege will bring calamitous retribution by Nerida's hand. I think I keep pronouncing that goddess differently every time. <laughs> but anyways, if we click on 1911, it jumps there. At the top of the mountain lays a long abandoned observatory hidden by magic. One magical telescope allows one to view the surface of the moon. One other allows one to view any hex in the region. Ooh, that'd be powerful. And again, you've got refugees from here in that location. So if you make contact with them, then of course, uh, they might tell you that. And of course, they've got a link. If I, it says C1108, 
click on that, it goes back to where we were. I talked about that other one, which was a breakdown of uh, Kingmaker Pathfinder Path, which, by the way, I have a call-in from Carl Rodriguez, which that was the title. I haven't listened to it yet, so uh, hopefully he's got some more insight into that. But that was a really condensed text crawl that you kind of flipped around. This one is actually interactive. So if you were somebody who's playing online or you have a laptop or an iPad or something next to you, you don't have to print any of this. You can literally just bounce around here and then just make your notes, which is very cool, I think. It just allows you to kind of move around. Now, I have run this a little bit myself, kind of messing around when I first discovered it like years ago. Unfortunately, I was not streaming back then, so I did not have a live stream of it. But what I actually did was I opened up two maps, two pages rather. I I like screenshotted the map so I could always see where I was because it was a little confusing to me not to see the map because just me personally. But um, it works if you just follow the hyperlinks. In any case, it's a very cool resource. And like I say, there are multiples of these here. They were all kind of crowdsourced, is my understanding, from Google Plus by a number of people. Uh, I will put a link to this, but there are several of them. One's called the Hex, Hex Bracken, the Crawl, and this one, the Colossal Wastes of Czar. Okay, I've got a few calls. The first one here, as I mentioned, is from Carl Rodriguez about the Kingmaker uh, Adventure Path that I had talked about that OSR blog, I think it was BX Black Razor, uh, smooshed it down into a like super basic hex crawl. So I'm curious uh, what Carl has to say. So let's hear and then I shall respond. Hey, Daniel, this is a response, I guess, because people are realizing that I've run Kingmaker and I'm probably going to run it again here with Pathfinder 2 and the new incarnation to respond to your OSR podcast about the blog that distilled the Kingmaker adventure into like a hex crawl. And at its base level, I agree that Kingmaker is a hex crawl. And I, it was interesting is that I can see like all the little encounter blurbs that the author of the blog put in there. Um, I can, I remember the adventures or the encounters that were run through there. I, I think there's more to just the hex crawl that in Kingmaker Paizo loves, um, and your mileage may vary on this. If you love this kind of stuff or not, um, you don't have to do it. Um, but players have really gotten into, or they got into the last time. And I know one player is Jones and, for wanting to do the kingdom stuff, which is like a mini game. There's also do, there's also pitch battles that occur uh, throughout the course. And I, I don't think it's as railroady as the blog author claims. I honestly did not. There's many different uh, directions you can go on. Events may or may not happen depending on what the players trigger, but I have always had a living campaign, no matter if it's an old school game or a more modern game where NPCs don't just sit on their hands and wait for a PC to encounter them. Events happen in the world. That's just the way of the world. And if people don't like it, well, then they usually will not play in one of my games. But, you know, and the and people would, might say that the enemy within campaign in Warhammer is railroady, but uh, it's not. Players can take the encounter hooks or not. And in my game, players have kind of quote unquote skipped over stuff because they went one direction instead of the other, or they had a good plan that worked out. And uh, it didn't go down the railroad or on the tracks because it's not, I mean, it's only a railroad. I feel if it's, you know, as much as a GM wants to or not to contribute to the development of the world. And, and as you, so, I mean, what if they give stat blocks for a player or for an NPC, 
is that railroady? I mean, they give stat blocks, they give their background, a little bit of their background and their motivation, just like the guy did on the blog post. Um, I mean, it's kind of, some of those, his entries are kind of weird and maybe a little disingenuous to the original authors, but that's me because I've read and played the thing. I will say that I do like in the Pathfinder 2, they make, I mean, it, it's a, you know, it is an adventure path. There are things there that the players may not know. There is an overall story, right? In, a, in an OSR game, the world is a character. And the world and the area where they're exploring has character. And I feel like in the new incarnation of this adventure path, they imbue the area with that character as opposed to just kind of throwing it at the end, which was always a complaint about it. So, um, so you know, so it gives a lot, the players a lot more options, which I think is cool. And um, anyway, I think it's a really fun and interesting adventure path. I, I've run it. Uh, I haven't. I didn't never finished it because at the so another problem with the. I would say I don't know if it's a problem because it might be a feature. So <laughs> in some of the more modern games, especially and in Pathfinder One uh, and Five E and many other games, there is this tendency towards rocket tag. If you push the button first, you blow things up, and uh, the play, which is. Maybe it's an interesting twist. The players usually got the rockets off first and blew things up before they could get blown up. But um, in at least one encounter in the last adventure, um, you know, they got they got hit by the rockets first, and it was a near TPK. And unfortunately, after that, you know, the party just life happened with the group, and some people had to move away for work and. And uh, things like that, unfortunately. So and we were playing, you know, this is, I feel like this was before the big tabletop revolution, t- VTT revolution. So this was like live play, right? So anyway, I, I did enjoy the adventure path. Aside from that, um, from the end book, the end book again was sort of, in my opinion, thrown out there. And, uh, but I didn't see... Well, I guess there are some cool. So the, I don't know if the author used PF two or PF one as a guide, but definitely if you use PF two, I can see where some of these, some of the encounters came from to kind of make a concrete hole to the adventure. But um, anyway, I, I think it's good. I probably rambled way too much, but um, it might be fun to use this blog honestly to be more positive than maybe I I originally intended to. I would maybe use this blog as like a rumor table um, in my game because it's a great idea. And then the players maybe not having mapped out everything might get this kind of rough hex map as an idea or hear where things might be happening, uh, which could be good. And then they can go in any direction they want. Um, Now, I guess the onus would be on the GM in the Pathfinder 2 version to read everything and to see how they could put make that sort of hex crawl happen, but what if the players go somewhere where they shouldn't, or and it's too high level? I mean, a la a la Barrow Maze, which can happen honestly, right? Um, or other places like that um, where there's an open ended, there's no concrete area where you can go, and you know, and that could happen. They could run into something that the, that's bigger than they can chew. Um, but anyway, that's Kingmaker in a nutshell for me and my response to the blog that you 
had on your podcast. Awesome. Uh, thanks, Carl. So that was Carl Rodriguez from the Geomologist Presents. I will say, I guess I, I don't think I said this. I will say I'm not a huge fan of how the blog post itself was written. It, it did come off as kind of negative, uh, maybe very negative. So yeah, that, I probably didn't mention it because I didn't want to bring negativity, but I do see that. Like if you were reading the blog post, he kind of talks about how it's not very good or this and that, and this is a way to fix it, which I never like that in anything. So I'll just start by saying that. But yeah, I think Joe also said something about, although he hadn't played it, that he had said something about you can get kingdoms and whatever. So I think, right, obviously in a uh, in a heft crawl, you're not going to have that opportunity. So you're not going to have this like kingdom building or the pitch battles, right? So I assume when you say pitch battles, you mean like, like large scale. But I think the reason why he didn't include that as, you know, is because that's in theory, just generally part of an OSR game, right? The the uh, the end game already written into most of these OSR systems is when you reach a certain level, your higher level is you're getting a domain and you're doing larger battles. Now, whether or not that's a reality of people in the OSR, that's a whole other thing, right? <laughs> that could be a whole podcast in and of itself. But I mean, that's my, my take on that. Uh, some really cool points. What I actually think is super interesting here is whether or not it's a railroad. Like, what do we define a railroad as? Now, I would say that Again, I haven't played it, but I would say that anything that is an adventure path is basically a railroad. That includes everything from all the 5th edition uh, mega modules to the Coriolis module that I ran to, I'm sorry to say, most Call of Cthulhu long-term modules. And the reason why I say that is because if you have a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth book in a series, that means they have to get there, right? So in order to get them there, you need to uh, put them down a certain path. And it's not necessarily the bad railroading. So if we define railroading as uh, forcing things on players, I don't, th I don't think it has to be that. I think it's more the railroading in the far, in, as far as maybe what you'd call a linear adventure. So maybe that's a more fair term to use. So I would say any adventure path is going to be have some kind of linearity to it, no matter what. I remember when I played in Curse of Strahd, you know, they swore up and down, Curse of Strahd is a, is a sandbox. You can do anything you want. And I said, well, we got pushed into this world we can't leave until we kill Strahd, right? Right. Well, <laughs> then no matter what we do in the middle, it's still it's still a path, right? You still have to kill Strahd, which means that it is a railroad or a linear adventure, whatever you want to call it. So I think that in that way, I think most adventure paths fall into that. I'm not saying that's a negative. I think that's probably actually a, <laughs> that's probably a positive for a lot of groups. I think having a direction and having a goal and having like a path to follow is not only a good way to run certain types of campaigns, but also probably the best way to run for, for certain groups, right? The people, especially people that like to get into their character and they want to just experience the world. And I'm not saying they don't want to influence the world because obviously they do, but they're okay with knowing, okay, well, this adventure is we're stopping Tiamat from coming. This adventure is we're going to stop the giants. This adventure is we're going to become kings or whatever whatever the actual end game is here. So, yeah, I, I think that, yeah, part of me, every time I look at something that, that talk, I don't want to say talks negatively, well, I, I will say that, it actually usually makes me want to look at it and say, what is this really about? Like, what's happening here? Like, what is it that they don't like about it? What's good about it? What we can take from it? And I think that there are certain advantages to your, your adventure path type style, your linear adventure, your... It's use more of a, a negative turn your railroad. 
And I think that's a great idea that you have there using this maybe as a rumor table or even as a guide, right? If this is basically, if this basically tracks with the story, then it'd be cool to look at it just to give you an overview so you don't have to read all 600 pages. You can get an idea of what's going on in the world before you want to, to delve into the thing and decide if it's right for your group. So thanks for calling in, Carl. That was really insightful. I'm always uh, interested in these like longer form adventures, even though they're not really for me. I'm just always fascinated by the depth that goes into them and yeah, all that. Hey Daniel, Direct Sun here. I wanted to let you know what the OSR means to me. Uh, when I first got started with the OSR, I was playing Stonehell in the OSR pickup game server. I was having a lot of fun. I was also playing in a separate 5e game. And I remember we we're all high-level characters in the 5e game. And we're fighting this big old big bad from hell. And we were in their complex, we were in their lair, and uh, there were a couple of different passages. One of the passages was, was blocked by this big old pit. Uh, blocked the whole hallway, and it wasn't even that deep. It was like 30 or 40 feet deep. Uh, and I could tell that the referee wanted us to, to use some spells to get over this, to expend our resources. And I can appreciate that as a resource management game. And I had been playing a lot of OSR-style OSR games where... You know, we didn't have those resources, so I said, well, if we play this smart, we won't have to use up any spells. We need everything so we can go supernova on this big bed. So, you know, I suggested using a rope. I suggested using some bits of wood that we had found along the way. We'll come back, we'll rip apart these ballistas, and we'll lay some planks along over top this pit so we can walk across. We'll do all these other things. And everything I suggested, you know, got shot down said nah it doesn't work uh the ballista breaks apart into a million pieces it's shattered the pieces aren't big enough for you to string across uh the rope doesn't go you know far enough you can't you can't connect it together with anything uh you don't know how to tie it and that was really frustrating uh to me um and you know from that i kind of realized what kind of games i i wanted to play what kind of games i had fun with the ones where I thought creatively about my environment and my character and what I could use and not really like looking at spells in my character sheet and figuring out what to do there. Uh, you know, which, which box to check off. Yeah, I don't know if that makes sense to everyone, but it makes sense to me uh, of what I like about the OSR and what it means to me. Um, and I have a sign up for you. Uh, first experimented in the podcast Between Two Cairns uh, with Brad Kerr and Yochai Gal. Uh, so th this sign-up was experimented, but I don't think they're going to keep it. So uh, you, should, you should definitely use this sign-off. Here it is. I love you. There you go. So everyone listening to the podcast, they have a great day at the end there. They know that someone cares about them and cares that they're listening to them and they'll go off and start their day right or end their day right. So you have, you have a sign off for the, the hat for you to consider. All right, take care, get Daniel and uh, happy OSR October. All right, well, that was Direct Sun with a really interesting sign off. I'm gonna put that in the hat, we'll say. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's a really cool story. What I think is interesting there is that starts to bring OSR into a play style versus, let's say, a system, right? Because 
you easily could play 5e in the style that you're talking about, allowing players to use outside influences, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, very cool. I appreciate the story. And if I've already played this message, well, then you get double play from me. Hey, Daniel, Spencer here. I just wanted to say I've really been enjoying your contributions for OSR October, as I have been enjoying everybody's contributions. But I do find that my tastes um, aren't too far away from your own. I've really loved your picks. And if you you consider uh, uh, the, the Venn diagram of old school OSR and new school material, I guess uh, I, I'm not too far away from yourself, I think, in what I think about when I think about the OSR, you know, the stuff that I love that's coming out from it. And, uh, well, to my mind, it's a movement that is far from dead. And, uh, well, I hope to uh, join the conversation at some point with an episode. That was Spencer from Keep Off the Borderlands. Thanks, Spencer. Yeah, I'm having a great time going through this. And it's interesting you talk about like the, the Venn diagram of like newer or or whatever old school stuff. It, it's like one of the things I'm noticing is some of the things I'm pulling are from what I'll call like the early period, if you will, of the OSR, uh, 2007, 2009, 2010, before I even played. Uh, I was totally not playing D&D at all during those periods. And then some of the stuff is from like, only a couple of years ago or even pretty recent i'm trying to dig back a little bit to find stuff that <laughs> i think i was expecting everybody to pick the most stuff that's going on right now so i'm like going back a little bit but yeah i look at blogs and things i'm picking up now that i would 100 consider osr and yeah it's you know 2022 and they're making them so it's it's interesting there's like a span and i think that the osr couldn't possibly be over <laughs> or dead because people are still making stuff for it and what becomes old school changes, right? I think that, I think when I, it, I just, why I'm thinking of rap music right now, you know, if you listen to uh, like Run DMC or Grandmaster Flash or something like this, like early rap music, they use the term old school, right? And then we listen, but nowadays somebody would call that old school. In fact, they'd probably call rap from the 90s old school. So it's, it's really interesting is what becomes considered old school and what fits into it and how definitions change. So I think as long as people keep creating, you know, awesome indie stuff and they want to use the term OSR, then more power to them. I know I'll keep using it. Hey, Daniel, great episode on Ford's Ferries. So I remember I first heard about it when Goblin's Henchman was talking about it on their show and got the PDF after that. I don't have a print copy, so I can't verify if yours is an anomaly, but I, I guess if, you know, would be a cool feature. It'd be nice if, I, I mean, obviously you can do that with a PDF, right? Because you can decide what pages to go in front and back. So you could easily, if you were going to have a couple of these in your adventure and you decide ahead of time, you could print it out that way in the PDF. That way you don't have to rip your book apart. But um, yeah, cool stuff. Okay, and we'll talk to you later. Okay, closing out the show there was Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Yeah, Forts Ferris is pretty neat. Talked about that, I think, last episode. And uh, let's continue to move forward through this. We're <laughs> more than halfway there. Let's see if I can continue to find uh, little gems that keep popping up in the USR. I'm sure I can because there's so many. When I popped my <laughs> my bookmark list, I have one that's literally called Old School, and there's like 150 bookmarks there. 
And I think that, I mean, not all of them are, let's say, podcast worthy necessarily because they're just like a single chart or something, although maybe that is. And maybe that is something that's interesting and important about the OSR. It's not about massive tomes of information. It's not about the slickest design all the time. Sometimes it's about that one little 2D6 chart that really changes your game for that one session, that one night when you have fun with your friends. So let me know what you guys love about the OSR, of course, or if you have any comments about the stuff I've talked about so far, you can reach out to me using the Anchor web browser thingy. You can find a link to that in the description. You can also reach out to me on Discord. The link to my Discord's in there. If you'd like to join it, that would be great. Otherwise, I'm also on Audio Dungeon and Clericsware Ringmail, where you can send me a message. In addition, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can join me on Patreon. Also, link in the show notes, and I will talk to you soon.